I really think that when it comes to body transformation, nutrition is really quite simple. So we think of body transformation. I want you all to first assume and recognize that a body transformation is the exact same thing as muscle building, right? So don't separate in your brain body transformation being something different than muscle building. It needs to be synonymous. When you're trying to transform your body, the objective in your mind has to be, I'm trying to build muscle, even if you think you're not, because here's, here's why. If you think you're not trying to build muscle, the way you don't build muscle is just don't eat as much, right? You still got to train as though you're trying to build muscle. That should still be the goal, right? Because muscle building is metabolically more expensive and uh, ultimately it's going to help shape your body more effectively, right? So we want to create a metabolic turnover inside the cell. So if we're just training with strength training or low volume training or low intensity training, we're not going to create a turnover, like an energy turnover inside the cell. Objective, objectively, we're trying to improve the mitochondria and the cytosol's ability to produce energy per unit time. So the more we can we can train in this hypertrophy range and ultimately accumulate more volume, the faster we can teach our body to be more effective with burning through nutrients, which is objectively the goal, right? We as we age, regardless of where you are now, your cells' ability to produce energy gets diminished. So the primary one of the primary focuses of any nutrition plan, or ultimately any transformation plan should be how can I get my cells to turn over more nutrients per unit time? So how can I ramp up ATP production, right? That's really what the goal should be. And so, you know, nutrition can influence that a lot, but so can training. So therefore, if we back up for a second to what I was saying, muscle building is the primary goal, then how do we eat for muscle building, right? Well, if you're new to this world, protein governs muscle building, right? Muscle building is 100% about protein. Um, maybe not 100%, but certainly 95% about protein. And I'll, I'll tell you what the other 5% is in a minute. But so then your primary objective needs to be, well, how can I get as, as much protein as I need and make sure I can digest, absorb, and assimilate as much protein as I eat? Sometimes in our minds, we think, hey, I ate 200 grams of protein today. Therefore, I used 200 grams of protein. That's not true, right? That's not true. So just because I consume 200 grams of protein or any arbitrary amount, 150, 300, whatever, doesn't mean that I, I actually digest, absorb, and assimilate all of it. There's varying amounts based on the quality of the protein and the quality of my ability to digest it. So we're going to think about that. So when we're creating, when the coaches and I are creating nutrition plans for you, we're trying in the background to help your body not only get the best quality food in, but improve digestion, absorption, assimilation. Right? So nutrition isn't just what I eat, it's body is what my body does with what I eat. Everybody with me? So when it comes to uh, building muscle, I want you guys to all frame it around, I must get one gram of protein per pound on average, right? On average, your coach may see a little more, a little less, but on average, that's where you, you, you want to be, uh, one gram of protein per pound. And that's that's been suggested to be kind of the quote unquote optimal range to optimize recovery, right? So recovery, when we talk about recovery, we're really talking about what's called muscle protein synthesis. The muscle's ability to synthesize new protein comes through DNA transcription. The body's synthesizing protein to ultimately recover, right? And we want to maintain uh, muscle protein synthesis. I wouldn't say as often as we can, but in a, in a, in a relative positive proportion of the time, so that we maintain our muscle mass. If we're in a negative, what's called nitrogen balance, so positive or negative nitrogen balance, negative nitrogen balance ultimately means we're in breakdown. Positive nitrogen balance means we're, in a, we're, in a, we're building up. 
So we want to maintain positive nitrogen balance so our body can maintain muscle, right? Or maintain its its protein accumulation. That's that's kind of step one. Now, in the longevity world, some people will say it's you actually want to avoid muscle protein synthesis. This is this is a really important message being being perpetuated now in the longevity space. They're saying you want to avoid muscle protein synthesis. So you're getting these conflicting camps coming at the world and saying, well, if you want to, if you want to live long, you have to build muscle. We hear that. Muscle is the organ of longevity. And you have this other camp saying the thing you want to do to, to optimize longevity is minimize muscle protein synthesis. So what do we do? How do we balance this? So it's my opinion, and, and I, I may be biased, but I try not to be, that the camp perpetuating don't avoid muscle protein synthesis, the camp perpetuating that is wrong. They're wrong because what they're going to notice is as people age, sarcopenia is a big problem, right? The, the breakdown of muscle, sarcopenia is a big, big problem, right? So we can't be losing muscle as we age. Most people are going to die of, of, well, I mean, if you don't die of a heart attack, then people will die of, of breaking a hip or uh, of a metabolic disease, right? A metabolic disease that can probably be handled with more muscle, right? With the objective of building more muscle. So, you know, if you if you want to have an argument about should I be eating protein or not, the, ar- the argument will, in my opinion, always go toward absolutely. And if, you're, if longevity is your goal, then you commit to three to five days of fasting every month. It seems as though the three to five days of fasting gives you all the benefits of longevity without really sacrificing an enormous amount of muscle. You're going to sacrifice some, but it's probably going to be pretty small. So once we've established one gram of protein per pound, then we're looking at, well, actually reverse one second. If you're building a diet for yourself, the first thing we need to know is well, how many calories do I need to eat? Anyone ever wonder that? Like, how many calories do I need to eat? Here's the biggest mistake people make. You guys have heard me say this. Don't undereat. Don't undereat. Because if you're un- nutrition for most people is how we manage stress. And so if you're undereating, and this is, there's another side of that, don't overeat. But if you're undereating, typically many people are going to uh, become stressed, become hungry, change their relationship with food to where it becomes a binge and purge or certainly a binging relationship where they overeat. So our approach is we don't starve people. We put you in a slight caloric deficit, 10% maybe, right? 10% caloric deficit. And then we we burn off calories, right? So when we're looking to change our body composition, we have two opportunities to do so. It's either we consume less or we expend more. That's kind of it. Protein stays the same. And then within the other calories, we either expend more or we consume less. But we think it should be a small decrease in consumption and a significant increase in, or at least not, maybe a significant increase in uh, expenditure. And when I say maybe an increase, it's because if you do too much, again, your body's going to ramp up your your desire to eat more food because your body's trying to maintain homeostasis, right? So this is why this is a journey and not a destination. You guys, if you want to be in great shape for the rest of your life, you've got to fall in love with the process and not hate it. How many people here can say they legitimately hate thinking about losing fat? So you want to create this relationship with like health where it's just, I'm always just going to eat healthy. I'm just always going to feel good. I'm not going to deprive myself. I'm going to make sure that I'm relatively healthy all the time. That should be the journey. It's not like I want to be in shape in three months and then fuck it. And then I'm going to eat seven pizzas, right? Eat a piece of pizza from time to time. No problem. Just make sure that you are psychologically not creating a negative relationship with exercise, a negative relationship with nutrition, a negative relationship with being healthy. 
Because if you believe that it's you against your health or you against your psyche, like, oh, my psyche always wants to fight back, or I always feel stressed about these things and starts to become an adversarial relationship, you will fail for the rest of your life. So you must create positive relationship, right? A you stress rather than a distress. So how many of you guys love to exercise? Does anyone dread it? Honestly, does anyone dread it? It's okay if you do, nothing wrong with it because it, we can solve for that problem, right? So if you dread uh, exercise, if you dread eating good food, if you dread the idea of going for a walk, tell your coach, these are all things we can support you with. We can absolutely get you to the point where you love it. No question, right? We work on this stuff as coaches. We're like, hey, behavior change is a big thing. We want you to learn to love your life, to, you know, as I say, live, live the greatest life in a body you love. But it's like, you got to love the things you do. It's important because you'll do it more often, won't you? Okay. So coming back to nutrition, determine your calories. How many calories you should be eating a day? We all, we all have what's called a basal metabolic rate, BMR, which is what we burn in a coma, right? You sit in a coma, you burn that much. So for me, it's probably 26, 2700 calories. I burn that in a coma. And then what do I stack on top of that? We call it our totally, total daily expenditure. So for me, that's probably somewhere between 31 and 3300 calories. That's what I burn every day on average when I'm not hugely uh, active just giving you my numbers. So I'm 235, 240 pounds right now. So I'll eat about 240, 250 protein every day. And then so that that's a thousand calories on average. So it leaves me with about 2,100 calories remaining to have from carbs and fats. All right. So I can eat 2,100 cal calories from carbs and fats personally, not you personally, and not add any muscle, not any, sorry, not any fat. So where do they, where do they come from? Carbs or fats? Answer, it depends on how hard I train that day. So I have a certain baseline of carbohydrates that I think that I consume, which I, for me personally, it is about one gram per pound. So about the same as my protein. So it's about 240, 250 grams of carbs baseline, right? And then, so I fill the rest with that. That's if I'm training. And then I fill the rest with fat. Does that make sense? So, and then if I'm not training, I could bring those carbs way down and then have more fats. Here's why I do that, by the way. Your body... When you consume carbohydrates, your body has to dispose of them, right? And so your body can dispose, when I say dispose of them, like your blood glucose goes up, your insulin goes up typically, and your body wants to put them into your into your muscles. But what happens if the muscles are full? There's enough, there's enough carbohydrate there already. What happens if the muscles are full? Your body can only store glycogen in two places, right? Carbohydrate can get stored in two places, muscles and liver. If I've been eating enough carbohydrate for the last 24, 48, 72 hours, nowhere else for it to go. What happens to it? Gets turned into fat, right? Or, or it's more likely to get turned into fat. And what happens is your blood sugar starts to become, call it dysregulated, starts to become elevated, right? So if I'm eating carbohydrates too often without somewhere for the body to dispose of it, to be able to put it into liver and the muscle, then all of a sudden my body goes, okay, no problem. We're just going to store this or we're going to keep blood glucose elevated for longer. And then my, my body becomes, my hunger signals become dysregulated I want to eat a lot. How many people on this call, after not having eaten for two to three hours, feel like they need to eat and they're like hangry? Like, I got to go eat. I need something to eat. Anyone ever get like that? Yeah. <laughs> so if you if you didn't eat for six to eight hours, what would happen? Could you do it? Would you feel just like in, in, uh, incapacitated? Would you just be like dysfunctional? Anyone? So the balance of carbohydrate and fat seems to, like most researchers will tell you, it doesn't matter. But I will, I will tell you that I believe it does matter, well, not necessarily from a fat loss perspective, 
but from a controlling a hunger signal perspective. So if you guys have any issues with overeating or managing your hunger signals, probably the most important thing you can do is learn to manage your blood glucose. It's not the only thing, but it's a big, big factor. So if you're someone who has dysregulated blood glucose, pre-diabetic, if you're over 20% body fat or pre-diabetic or you don't exercise, you probably have glucose dysregulation issues, certainly. And then your, your journey to losing fat becomes harder. You have to first fix the glucose dysregulation. How many of you have heard the term metabolic flexibility? Anybody? It's a very important term. Maybe the most important term that, you, that you'll know in nutrition. Metabolic flexibility is the ability to use both carbohydrates and fats as fuel to be flexible metabolically, right? So if I eat carbohydrates, my body should shift into burning carbohydrates. If I don't eat carbohydrates or I eat fat, my body should shift into burning fat. Someone who's metabolically flexible is metabolically healthy. The most extreme example of someone who's metabolically healthy is someone who can eat whatever they want and still stay lean. The opposite end of that is someone who's very metabolically broken is someone who's diabetic or pre-diabetic who they can eat anything and get fat. doesn't matter if they're eating carbs or fat, the body's going to store it. This is a continuum of this metabolic flexibility. Low-end metabolic flexibility means, man, Charles Poliquin used to joke, three, drip, three licks of a dry prune and you get fat, right? Which is very often true, right? People eat a small amount of food and they get fat versus, versus somebody who's very healthy can eat anything and get lean. So the goal is we improve metabolic flexibility for improving cellular health. What's cellular health? An individual cell, you've got trillions of them. How does it work? Well, we need to make sure there isn't an excess of inflammation, oxidative stress. We got to make sure there's enough micronutrients. That's more or less it. Inflammation, minimize inflammation, optimize or, or minimize oxidative stress, maybe not optimize, optimize, not minimize. And then micronutrients, that's it. Cellular health, right? And micronutrients is vast. We just need to make sure those cells are working really well so you can send and receive signals from the cells. Nutrition, guys, is, is a relatively simple, I'm trying to simplify it, but it's a relatively simple uh, undertaking, right? It's like, here's your, your total daily expenditure, it's the total number of calories you eat a day, determine your protein, determine your carbs, fill the rest with fat, that's it. And then hopefully when you're eating enough food and you're not under eating and starving yourself, your desire to eat is controlled so you're not overeating which is which is a real thing and and guys there's, there's a, here's an important message too there's an enormous i'll repeat enormous genetic component to appetite so for someone who goes oh i can't believe someone can't stick to their diet you're not in their brain right there's an enormous genetic component to adherence enormous some people have enormous insatiable appetites that is not their fault it's genetic and some people are like, I don't want to eat, man. Like, I got to force feed myself, right? And then there's some people who are just like, oh, I can eat if I want or not eat if I want. And there's very different levels of metabolic uh, predisposition genetically. And there's, there's literally, there's genes for obesity, right? There's, a, there's genes for obesity in the brain, meaning like your brain just has this insatiable hunger. There's genes for obesity in like in, in fat accumulation. And some people have these things. And, and so having a little compassion for people when they're, ch they're struggling on a diet, is a big part of what we teach the coaches. Like, you're not them. So you can't shit on somebody because they can't follow a diet plan. Our goal is to support you guys, right? So how can we find a diet plan that you can follow through with, right? 100% success. Another thing I want to add to the nutrition conversation is there, there's a lot of back and forth on the value of vegetables. I have a, we'll say as, a, as a, certainly a bias or certainly as a, I believe it's an educated opinion that 
10% of the population does really well as vegans. 10% of the population does really well as carnivore. And everyone else is in the middle, right? And, and 10% may be a stretch on both ends. It's probably more like 3% of people do well on vegan. 3% of people do well on carnivore. And everyone else is in the middle. Meaning, you should probably all be eating vegetables. You should probably all be eating meat, right? And the, then the relative proportion is definitely variable genetically. Like Chris Fudge does really well on a carnivore diet. I feel like shit on a carnivore diet. Terrible, right? So genetic, right? There's genetic variances in everywhere. There's environmental differences. There's training differences. There's history differences. There's health differences. There's a lot of variances. So don't be attached to one way of doing it. And here's another little trick for you. Don't be attached to one way of doing it. Even if you think you figured out what works for you now, it may be something completely different in six months. So you got to learn to be dynamic in your in your thought process when it comes to nutrition. Here's the reality. Do you know that we should be eating differently? Or do you, uh, I'll ask this question. Do you think that we should be eating differently in the summertime as we do in the wintertime? Absolutely, right? Why? What's the difference? Do you know that light is the single biggest influence on human biology? Light, by far. So do we get more light in the summer or the winter? Obvious, more light in the summer, which means more vitamin D, which means more insulin sensitivity, right? Which often means more activity. So think of how different the, the nutrition could be in the summertime than it is in the winter, right? Think about it. So like if you're going to do a carnivore or a keto diet, a great time to do that would be in the winter. You're going to do a, a vegetable-based or fruit-based or you know, higher carbohydrate diet, maybe a good time to do that would be in the spring and the summer, right? So again, there's many levels to the decision-making process, right? Is it at the time of year is a big thing, but also so is the goal, right? Because if you have a goal in the wintertime to get shredded, well, then that's a thing, that's a different consideration. Like, hey, I need to follow this specific diet or I'm going to follow this specific diet. But just don't be dogmatic about your approach. Find what works for you. Like learn to connect with your body. Gosh, I had a good um, visual ex experience today at the gym. There was two girls training side by side, and they were both doing tricep extensions. And one of them was going, was looking like this. She, she's doing tricep extensions, she's looking around, she's kind of moving her body, she's looking all around. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So, and you look at the other one, and she was like focused, body was tight, doing doing this like perfect tricep push down. She looked like. You know, like she should be a model for one of our videos. And so I'm looking at these people. And so just from the information I've given you there in the last 30 seconds, one's kind of looking around a little bit loose, a little bit relaxed. And the other one's like rigid, tight, not not tight in a, in a way that's like, she looks athletic. She's like focused. What do I, what do I automatically, maybe this is just me being judgmental, but what do I automatically assume I, can, I know about that person? Isn't it interesting that we can probably make some assumptions about their personalities, not necessarily in a bad way, but the way that you train becomes a part of your character. And obviously the way your character becomes part of how the way you train. But I find it's so interesting to think that many people are so disconnected from their body and training is such a great opportunity to connect with your body, right? So when it comes to like feeling, well, how do I feel after I eat chicken as, as compared to steak? Can anyone tell me that? Is anyone like, hey, man, I feel better when I eat steak than when I eat chicken. Chris eats, feels better when he eats um, organ meats, right? But like, you've got you've to dial into that. And so one of the greatest takeaways you guys are going to get from this coaching community 
is is to constantly poke you and harp on this this opportunity you have in front of you every day to improve your connection to yourself. And that doesn't mean something weird about like I want you to be you know self love. Cool, self love is great. But what I mean, what I'm specifically referring to is the ability to feel what's happening inside your body minute to minute. What's going on in my stomach? What's going on in my heart? What's going on in my muscles? What's going on in my breathing? Where's how's my muscle tone? Right? Can you guys instantaneously minute to minute connect with that? Because if you can connect with it, you can change it and realize all our emotional states are simply physiological signatures. Right? It's like a state that the body is in. You can change it if you learn how to feel it. All food, all food is a dopamine hit. So evolutionarily, we got rewarded when we pursued food and we got it. We got a reward in our brain, like go do more of this. So the food itself becomes a reward. Food is a varying reward, variable reward. Meaning a Twinkie certainly is going to give you more dopamine than a chicken breast. Because it's, why, why specifically will it? Because it's high calorie. Anything that's high calorie is gonna give you more dopamine than something that's low calorie. Your brain goes, that's got sugar and fat and salt. Get more of that. So we have food chemists who literally build foods based on your brain centers getting a bigger hit of dopamine. You have scientists sitting in a lab right this second, figuring out ways to manipulate your brain every minute. And so what happens is the bigger the dopamine hit we get from food, the more we want it. So we start creating these attachments to what are called hyperpalatable foods. Hyperpalatable food is things that ultimately have a, a specific combination of fat, sugar, salt, and often crunch. They'll manipulate the texture so you can really, really uh, create. Your brain gets this, 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 you know, huge amount of dopamine. You're like I want more of that. Coffee also gives you dopamine for all the coffee addicts out there. Caffeine gives you dopamine. So, learning how to how to control dopamine is going to be very important. Now, again, here's another thing. Dopamine is very individual genetically also. Some people get huge amounts of dopamine spikes from food and coffee and, and drugs. Other people don't. So they may be less likely to uh, be addicted. So it's very interesting to acknowledge, again, the individual variances that people get when they eat those foods. They're like, for some people, like they're very prone to being drug addicts or food addicts. Some people are like, no, nah, I'm just not, right? What's the difference? Your brain is different. So if you know that you're someone who's prone to being addicted to Twinkies or any type of food, what's the secret? Don't start. The only way, right? Some people can have a bite and be good. Some people can, once they start, they just want it all. It seems as though the goal of nutrition is a healthy digestive tract can digest anything. Right. If you, if you are in, and now this genetic variance is in this as well, but let's assume that the healthiest version of a digestive tract doesn't have any issues digesting protein, doesn't have any issues digesting carbs, fibers, many things, starches, right? Anytime there's some dysfunction or dysbiosis or any type of challenges within the GI tract, that could be from a lot of things, and we could mention those in a second, then your body will be less effective at using certain foods. This is why the first thing you do when, when you have somebody who's got gut issues is you put them on an elimination diet. You say, we're going to eat only the things that we know that don't hurt you, which is, which is literally where the carnivore diet most recently kind of took its kind of front seat. 
is these people who have broken GI tracts get on a carnivore diet and they feel awesome. That's like people are healing autoimmunity and they're healing uh, like arthritis and you know things like this. They're just because they had broken GI tracts to begin with. So the goal I think is like we want to be able to digest everything and it may take eliminating everything, stripping it way back and then healing it and slowly reintroducing stuff. Thanks for listening to the Muscle Intelligence Podcast. For full episode guides with important takeaways and bonus resources, head over to muscleintelligence.com slash learn. If you enjoy the show and find value in the content, please subscribe, share this podcast with at least one person you know and love who would benefit from this content, leave us a review, and support our sponsors. You can see the full list of show sponsors, discounts, and get exclusive Muscle Intelligence deals at muscleintelligence.com slash resources. To join our private community and get VIP access to my master classes, upcoming muscle camps, and other resources that we don't post anywhere else, head to muscleintelligence.com slash community. Most of all, thank you very much for your trust, for your time, and most importantly, for supporting health and fitness in this world. Enjoy your day, and I look forward to seeing you here next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to Muscle Intelligence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to share it with at least one person you know. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. This podcast is for information purposes only. The statements and views on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Ben Pikulski and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements or advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest and products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.